This is an ABC podcast. In March 2016, Bernie Sanders still had a chance at beating Hillary Clinton. I think it's fair to say that the Clinton campaign has become very nervous. In the midst of this, Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta received an email which appeared to come from Google. Hi, John. Someone just used your password to try and sign into your Google account, john.podesta at gmail.com. Location, Ukraine. But John Podesta wasn't the one who opened it. If he did, the world might be a different place. Google stopped this sign-in attempt. You should change your password immediately. Best, the Gmail team. It then offered a big blue button that said in capital letters, Change Password. An aide with access to his account thought the email seemed a bit fishy, so she sent it to a computer technician who replied, Sarah, this is a legitimate email. John needs to change his password immediately and ensure that two-factor authentication is turned on for his account. Oh, good. A legitimate email. The aide clicked on the big blue button and typed in the password. And by doing so released every email John Podesta had ever sent or received to the Russian hacking team Fancy Bear. You might be asking, how did that computer technician get it so wrong? This is a legitimate email. What he meant to say was, this is an illegitimate email. A few letters and a click of a big blue button. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is Russia If You're Listening. Today, we continue the story of the moment Russia stepped over the line in their campaign to influence the 2016 US presidential election. They conducted the largest psychological warfare campaign in history, and they won. Last episode, we explained how the Russian government was able to hack the DNC and steal everything. Corporate strategies, email communications, uh, you've got documents, Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, uh, PDFs, calendars, etc. Those sorts of things that just help us govern our, our day-to-day business life and our personal life. Today, how they used social media to get the information out there. The US elections are the key issue for the Kremlin, and of course Russia has invested a lot of effort into them. That's why the troll factories are working, I have no doubt. How an army of professional Russian trolls spread lies, misinformation and stolen secrets. Russian hackers had access to John Podesta's emails for seven months before they did anything with them. They were waiting for the perfect time to release them. And it came in October 2016, just a month before the election. She was the worst we ever had. Donald Trump was involved in a fight with a former Miss Universe winner named Alicia Machado, who had accused him of mistreating her in the mid-90s. She gained a massive amount of weight. And uh, it was it was a real problem. We had a we had a real problem. Not only that, her attitude. An NBC News producer, outraged by Trump's comments, remembered an old Access Hollywood tape from 2005, gathering dust somewhere on a shelf. They found it in the NBC archives. She's still very beautiful. I moved on her actually. You know, she was down in Palm Beach. I moved on her, and I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa! I did, I did try and fuck her. She was married. <laughs> huge news, Sarah. I moved on her like a bitch. <laughs> But I couldn't get there, and she was married. But they weren't the only ones with the tape. The Washington Post received a tip-off and decided to publish. I've got to use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful... I just start kissing them. The Washington Post called the Trump campaign, Access Hollywood and NBC News to ask for comment. They declined. 
like a magnet. You just like, I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Friday afternoon, the Washington Post published the tape online. Grab him by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. The story exploded. Congressmen and senators from both sides of American politics slammed Donald Trump. I'm out. I, I can no longer endorse Donald Trump for president. This is Republican Congressman Jason Chaffetz. You know, my wife, Julie, and I, we got a 15-year-old daughter. Do you think I can look her in the eye and tell her that I endorse Donald Trump for president when he acts like this? Trump apologised, which is exceedingly out of character for him. I've never said I'm a perfect person, nor pretended to be someone that I'm not. I've said and done things I regret, and the words released today on this more than a decade-old video are one of them. He said his comments were not representative of who he was. Certainly I'm not proud of it, but this is locker room talk. Locker room talk became the go-to phrase. He used it to explain why a newly married man with a pregnant wife had bragged about sexually assaulting women to a group of virtual strangers. In the world which existed before 2016, this story would have dominated the news for weeks, months even. Up next, we have Stephanie, who's calling in from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah, he does have to be held to a certain standard because he's running for the highest office in the land. I don't understand how people can can support this guy before and especially now. But 29 minutes after the Washington Post published that tape, another bombshell dropped. Julian Assange and WikiLeaks dumped 2,050 of John Podesta's private emails online. WikiLeaks. Well, I love reading those WikiLeaks. This was the first sign that Podesta's email account had been hacked. Now, imagine every email you have ever sent. The ones criticising your boss. The ones complaining about your intern. The private ones you sent your partner. Everything. Now, imagine handing all of them over to your worst enemy to pick through find the worst of them, and publish online. He speaks so badly about her. She's got bad instincts. He says things about her that I won't say about her. Do you believe it? And not just the ones you sent, all the ones you received, too. And others say such bad things. It's amazing what you learn from from looking. The emails showed a lot of things which were damaging to Hillary and her campaign. They outlined, for example, the content of some of the paid speeches which Hillary Clinton had made to Wall Street firms. Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of US sovereignty. They showed that Hillary Clinton had privately contradicted a lot of her public positions on foreign policy. Honestly, she should be locked up. They even started conspiracy theories that Podesta and Clinton were running a child sex ring out of a pizza shop. Pizzagate, as it's called, is a rabbit hole that is horrifying to go down. Within days, the leak sucked the oxygen out of the pussy tape scandal and reminded voters of the years-long controversy over Hillary Clinton's private email server. Podesta, I tell you what, I would fire him so fast. Two scandals competing for airtime, both hitting the media on the same day. It makes you wonder about the timing of the two scandals. Was the Podesta emails appearing minutes after the pussy tape just a coincidence? John Podesta doesn't think so. 
And I think it was done to try to divert attention, at least to give the anchors on Fox News something to talk about other than uh, the Access Hollywood tape. Uh, and I think that uh, the question is whether there was coordination between uh, the campaign and uh, and uh, WikiLeaks, at least uh, through intermediaries, uh, about the timing of the, of the release. Is it possible that someone contacted Julian Assange and asked him to dump Podesta's emails the night the pussy tape dropped? It's certainly what Podesta is suggesting, and the Trump campaign did have several hours' warning that the tape was coming when they were called and asked for comment. Well, the thing is, there was a contact man between Julian Assange and Team Trump. I revel in your hatred, because if I weren't effective, you wouldn't hate me. Roger Stone. Roger is the sinister Forrest Gump of American politics. He's not just this simple-minded guy, but this Machiavellian, almost crazy guy who shows up at every key moment in recent American history. He's known Donald Trump since the 1970s, and he's been trying to get him elected since the late 90s, when he said this. We're in a position here where the voters are fed up with both parties. They're looking for new choices. And if the American people are presented a viable, different choice, they may just take it. Roger Stone has cultivated a reputation as a political, dirty trickster. It's something he's been doing right back to the Nixon era. In fact, he's such a devotee of Richard Nixon that he has the man's face tattooed on his back. From 1980 to 1996, he was Paul Manafort's partner in the lobbying firm Black Manafort, Stone and Kelly. He's also a big fan of conspiracy theories, particularly ones related to Bill and Hillary Clinton. In 2015, he published a book accusing Bill Clinton of being a serial rapist and saying that Chelsea Clinton wasn't Bill's daughter and had plastic surgery to make her look more like him. He also said that Hillary Clinton was an enabler of her husband's crimes. He has abused women. She's helped cover it up. She's an enabler. That's what the book's about. The Clintons are a little handsy. Yeah. You can actually see Stone's signature on a lot of Trump's moves during the campaign. There you see in the middle of your screen Donald Trump. These are women who have made very strong accusations against Bill Clinton. Roger Stone also does not wear socks. That's not important to the story, but it is an odd thing about him that I feel like you should know. Anyway, in 2015 and 2016, Stone was like an informal advisor to Donald Trump. Roger has a great understanding of the media. He understands politics and he understands politicians. And he always likes to take on somebody that at least has a good chance of winning. But he loves it and he loves the game. He has fun with it and he's very good at it. Three things happened during the campaign that made it seem like Roger Stone could be the connection between WikiLeaks and Donald Trump. Firstly, six weeks before the pussy tape was released... Roger Stone tweeted, Trust me, it will soon the Podesta's time in the barrel. Roger Stone says that tweet isn't evidence of anything. My tweet says, The Podesta's, the Podesta's, not apostrophe S, meaning John and Tony, referring to the... Uh, Is the, that true? I thought it was apostrophe no, S. No, but it, but it still says the Podesta. But, the, but there's a, there is an apostrophe S. But it refers to multiple people. We well, didn't write it that way. Well, that clears that up. Roger Stone also told people that he was in contact with WikiLeaks editor Julian Assange. I actually have uh, communicated with Assange. But he now says that was a joke. I told it as a line of shtick, you know, 
get him off uh, in a joking way and get him off the phone. Uh, then when I realized that he believed it, I milked the joke in an email, but clearly I never flew you know, to see Assange. There's just, there is no evidence that supports this idea that I had advance notice of the content. He's also recently admitted to being in direct contact with Guccifer 2.0, the Russian military intelligence unit that hacked into the DNC. So Roger Stone's emails and tweets suggest that he could be a link between WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign, but he isn't the only point of contact. Julian Assange also got in touch with Donald Trump Jr., encouraging him to tweet links to the WikiLeaks website, which he did. So, the pussy tape and the emails were competing for attention, and in a tight race for the presidency, making the public forget about the pussy tape and focus on Clinton's emails was going to be almost impossible, not at least without a little help. On a residential street in St. Petersburg sits a squat, brutalistic building, perfectly symmetrical and perfectly nondescript. It looks kind of like an old bank. The bluish-grey facade is unadorned with any signs or insignia. A passerby would never stop and look at the building twice. But in 2015, a writer by the name of Adrian Chen noticed that people in that building were churning out an enormous amount of pro-Russian content online. It was totally industrialized. I mean, it was just like, you know, it makes me wonder, like, what else is going on like that? It was home to a company called the Internet Research Agency, which was posting pro-Russian propaganda on social media. Posts were popping up all over Europe, aimed at swaying public opinion towards Putin's regime and against its enemies. They weren't hackers. They weren't spies. They were just hundreds of social media managers. Internet Research Agency allegedly operated through Russian shell companies. It employed hundreds of people in its online operations, ranging from creators of fictitious personas to technical and administrative support personnel with an annual budget of millions of dollars. The Internet Research Agency is privately funded by an oligarch named Yevgeny Prigozhin. You just said that Mr. Prigozhin is referred to as Putin's chef. Indeed, that is his job. This is Vladimir Putin. He is a restaurant owner in St. Petersburg. But do you really think that a person who is in the restaurant business, even if this person has some hacking opportunities and owns a private firm in this field, could use it to sway elections in the United States or a European country? Putin makes it seem like this guy is like a humble restaurant owner, which is kind of true in that in the 1990s he did own Putin's favourite restaurant. In fact, Putin liked the restaurant so much that he got Prigozhin several billion-dollar government contracts to provide food to the Russian military and school system. So, in other words, he was an oligarch who owed Putin for his newfound wealth. Could it be that the media and political standards in Western countries have reached such a low level that a Russian restaurant owner can sway voters in a European country or the United States? Isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, it's not that ridiculous. Here's Robert Mueller's boss, the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, speaking earlier this year. Yevgeny Viktorovich Prigozhin funded the conspiracy through companies known as Concord Management and Consulting, LLC, Concord Catering, and many affiliates and subsidiaries. 
His workers at the Internet Research Agency were busy. What they described was a fairly normal, if kind of rigorous, work schedule where they did 12-hour shifts. They would come in and they would have to post, you know, so many hundreds of comments under different personae. At some point, the Internet Research Agency's staff of professional trolls turned their attention away from pro-Putin propaganda to the West. A very interesting thing happened. I created this list of... Um, of the Russian trolls when I was researching, and I'd check in it once in a while still, and a lot of them have turned into, like, conservative accounts, like fake really? conservatives. I don't know what's going on, but, like, yeah, they're all, like, tweeting about Donald Trump and stuff. Like American conservatives. Yeah. The goal? Chaos. These trolls, this, uh, this kind of work, from what I've gathered from talking to activists, it's really to kind of pollute the internet to make it an unreliable source for people. The theory was that if America descended into chaos, it would be damaging for Vladimir Putin's arch nemesis, Hillary Clinton. So they started tweeting a lot. A powerful explosion heard from miles away happened at a chemical plant in Centerville, Louisiana. Hashtag Colombian chemicals. That explosion never happened. I'm scared and farting. ISIS is a monster awakened by Obama when he unleashed this dangerous Iraq war. This is from an account called I Am Ass. They also used Facebook to organise political events out in the real world. Stop Islamization of Texas. Save Islamic knowledge. Both those Facebook events were organised to happen at the same time. They set up Nazi groups, pro-gun groups, anti-gun groups, Black Lives Matter groups, all run out of a building in a quiet neighbourhood in St Petersburg. But we're talking about a foreign government that using technical intrusion and lots of other methods tried to shape the way we think, we vote, we act. FBI Director James Comey said these trolls were trying to stir up anger and fear in the public and make Americans turn on each other. They think that this great experiment of ours is a threat to them and so they're going to try to run it down and dirty it up as much as possible. That's what this is about and they will be back. After Donald Trump got the nomination the trolls at the Internet Research Agency organised themselves behind one goal, getting Donald Trump elected. The pro-Trump effort in St Petersburg was active for months, but the dumping of John Podesta's emails was the moment the propaganda operation kicked into top gear. Now, the whistleblowing group WikiLeaks that we just mentioned there by Todd has released around 2,000 emails from the personal account of Hillary Clinton's campaign chief, John Podesta. This is the Russian propaganda network RT, formerly known as Russia Today, covering the leaks on the day of their release. Do you expect we'll find any embarrassing revelations? Not in the mainstream Western American media. No, nothing. The Internet Research Agency and Russian English language media outlets like RT pushed the email story hard. Within days, the pussy tape story was fading and the people who had abandoned Donald Trump started coming back. Like Jason Chaffetz, the Republican with the 15-year-old daughter. You think I can look her in the eye and tell her that I endorse Donald Trump for president when he acts like this? Chaffetz said despite all that, he was going to vote for Donald Trump anyway, because Hillary Clinton was worse. The strategy was working a treat. I am voting for Donald Trump. It's not that big a deal. That was 10 years ago. True Trump supporters are going to stand behind him. I think he can say and do anything 
and get away with it. As the election drew closer, the trolls became more and more targeted. The Hillary name is so tainted. She said in her email, she shows a public face and a private face. Hillary Clinton is the real problem. The Republicans have done a very good job of drip, drip, drip the poison about the Clintons. It was a full-blown propaganda war for the hearts and minds of the American voters. And the trolls kept on tweeting and posting until they got their man to the White House. Russia, if you're listening, is produced by Will Ockenden and Yasmin Perry. Next week, big data and its role in winning the election. We were making thousands of live calls, web tracking, web different surveys, and pulling data that was driving in and building what's called models and universes. Remember when there was no chance that Donald Trump could win the election? Donald Trump's poll numbers are down lately in nearly every demographic. I was on the radio when he won. And I was just as shocked as everyone else. It's certainly a lot closer than the polls were showing. As you mentioned, uh, James, there's a, there are a couple of news websites that are starting to show that uh, a Trump presidency may be a bit more likely than we were expecting. Donald Trump outmaneuvered Hillary Clinton. You can put it down to the alt-right. You can put it down to the joke vote. You can put it down to the plight of the American worker. But the Trump campaign put it down to their superior data operation. And the man in charge of that operation was Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. But Jared Kushner is not a data analyst. He is a property developer with crushing debts. He's also someone who his college friend Natalie Portman described this way. I heard he wasn't that great of a student. That is true. <laughs> so how did he run such an ingenious operation? His story is next on Russia, if you're listening. Russia.